I just saw a tweet that said, Barb and Star didn't cast James Corden, and look what happened. A joy to watch and universally beloved. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Wasn't James Corden, like, floating the idea that he wanted to leave his show? Kind of, and then everyone was like, yeah, do it. <laughs> leave. Yeah. <laughs> and the Brits are like, no, 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 stay over there. <laughs> James Corden is not in the movie we're here to talk about today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the failed Blockbusters Retrospective here on the Waffle Press Podcast. They may be failed at the box office or or critical reception, but they're not failures in our hearts. Although some of them, some of them are. <laughs> at least the first one we talked about. <laughs> we did, uh, yeah, Wawa West is absolutely a failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no sugarcoating that one. Um, would you consider today's movie a failure, Matt? My co-host. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's me, Matt. Uh, good. Th- it's, I'm glad we've gotten better at this as we've continued to go along. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but it most certainly failed in terms of the making money thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Big Trouble in Little China. John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Hey. Yeah, the movie that finally put the nail in the coffin of John Carpenter ever making a hit Hollywood film. <laughs> it's like, all right, we'll give you one last swing. And then he's like, I'm going to make Escape from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that movie's got some Which, fucking great moments, though. Yeah, it's got, yeah, you know, it's a John Carpenter film. I don't think there's a John Carpenter film that is just completely devoid of anything. Mm-hmm. Is there? I haven't seen Invisible Man yet. Uh, you know, uh, you're going to watch and be like, why is Chevy Chase in this? <laughs> oh, oh. Well, everyone who works but with hey. Chevy Chase also says the same question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chevy Chase. Remember the Chevy Chase talk show? No, what the fuck? You had a talk show. When, oh, uh, I didn't know that. When, all right, so Johnny Carson leaves the Tonight Show, right? Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, all right, it's going to be Letterman. And then NBC's like, nope, we're picking Leno. And like everyone's like, oh, my God. And it, everyone's like, all right, the Tonight Show has been dominant late night. Now is everyone's chance to have a late night talk show. And Letterman went to do his own talk show for CBS. And Fox is like, we got to get into this late night talk show game. So they got Chevy Chase. And they gave him like $3 huh. million. Dollars, and they're like, do whatever you want. And uh, the show, I think lasted less than 30 episodes (laughs) damn he didn't last a full month no that's unfortunate and like they built a whole studio with his name on it and it was like they did like all this stuff and i think that's what really like after that is when he never makes another good movie again (laughs) well at least he has community which he is great on for the first three seasons and a cameo in the fifth (laughs) And it's very noticeable in the fourth season that people just didn't want to work with him anymore. <laughs> like, that season's got a lot of problems because they got rid of uh, Dan Harmon, who also had his own problems. Big but... man Dan Harmon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can of worms there, but uh, Chevy Chase. He, I mean, what a, what a like, character to go out on. Yeah. And it's too bad that he couldn't even, like, land that. Well, yeah, that's what's know? crazy. Like, think about a guy... There's never been a guy who's been thrown, like, more great stuff than Chevy Chase. Because the story is, you know, like, he he's, like, the breakout star of SNL, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he makes it... And then he stays one year. 
and everyone's like, how dare you leave early? He kind of like, it fucked up his career for a few years. He was very specifically blocked out of being an Animal House. <laughs> and then, oh, he starts coming back. He makes movies like Caddyshack and whatever. And he has a decent run in the 80s. I haven't seen Fletch. I hear Fletch, Fletch is great. Fletch is very good. I'm not sure how well it's aged, though. I have not seen that in years. And then he does, by the 90s, he's, like, fallen off. And then he does the Chevy Chase show and is, like, his career is dead again. And then finally, he's, it's like, oh, hey, Community, it's a cult classic, Chevy Chase. It's endearing you to a whole new generation. <laughs> and then it's like, I'm going to go be racist. <laughs> And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> no, Jeff, he was just a character. No, Jeffy, no. <laughs> but, hey, John Carpenter <laughs> does not appear to be racist. So. As far as we know. Um, as far as we know, that would be a horrible gut punch. Yeah. Um, did you listen to the commentary for this film? No. Nah, we'll talk about it later. I feel kind of invisible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. It's not, don't worry, it's not, it's not, it's not terrible. But okay. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> oh, God. Because, <laughs> uh, like, some of my notes and a lot of, like, the, the production behind-the-scenes stuff that's available online, or, like, in special editions of this film that I did take a look at, you know, there's a lot of pointed discussions about wanting to make a big trouble in little china like at least moderately like acceptable representation wise and like you know a large mm. uh cast and crew uh, of chinese and, and other asian actors and uh it's for I a guess... film like this in america it it feels like at least moderately progressive <laughs> it feels like at least it's trying to be satirical yeah because i mean the this same film time... is like like a, a satirical action comedy. Yeah, but at the same time, it is a hundred percent like, oh, only white people wrote this. Like that's, yes. the, that's the double-edged sword of the thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess the only thing I'll talk about is that, like, not to jump ahead, but in the commentary, John Carpenter does talk about how the film was subject to protest from Asian American groups. Mm. And you know, he doesn't go into it too much, but he was like, you know, we were employing all these people. <laughs> That was kind of his argument, and he was like, "That was the he's like that was the first time I felt that kind of pressure coming from the left." Mm. And it's like, "Oh, oh, John!" And then thankfully they stopped talking about it very quick. Okay. <laughs> so there's someone from the studio in the corner, like, "No, no, no!" No one would have stopped him because I mean, no one cares. But uh, yeah, you know, that was like I think John Carpenter got announced. He's doing some like fictional podcast series coming out soon. Mm-hmm. He's at least producing it. And when I first heard it, I thought he was just going to start doing a podcast. And I had a very much like, oh, no, reaction. Because <laughs> I feel like if it was John Carpenter doing like a talk show, uh, we'd get to see a little bit too much of John Carpenter. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, we got to remember, you know, John Carpenter, he's, he's an old hippie at heart, but hes he was born in 1948. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? that's true. He's going to have some biases. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he's been smart in that when he usually talks about his movies, he talks about them from a technical perspective. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, 
any deep thematic things, other than coming out and saying that they live is a hundred percent not about uh, Jewish conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for these old directors, he's he's definitely more left leaning than like a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. Like, blind spots are, are just going to be a thing for people that age. I feel like a big thing about Hollywood directors is a lot of them are are left leaning until they get pushed slightly. Mm-hmm. And, saying, and John Carpenter never had a big enough profile to get pushed in that kind of way, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I think we dodged a bit of a bullet. Yeah, like, I'm not going to say the name because I know this director is still beloved, but they were very ass out during election year in 2020 when people like Bernie Sanders were saying, like, we do need, like, a political revolution to upheave, like, the systems that don't work. Mm-hmm. And then this director may have seen the word revolution and was like, I don't want this. You know, and it was like, dude. Who who did this? I don't even remember. Uh, I'm, I'll cut it out because, like, I, 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 I do like this director, and it was just bummer to see them. That's a bad luck. It was like, you of all people made a film about these things? Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? But, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on in Hollywood land. Yeah. Money, money talks. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's part of the truth of it. Did Spielberg just donate a bunch of money to your mayor? Did he? I think he did. Steve. I think the Hollywood liberals are like circling the wagons mm. around, like your mayor and the governor. Steve. Well, Newsom fucking sucks, but if he gets recalled, he's gonna be replaced with a Republican. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm like, I'm in a rock and a hard place, you yeah. know. I guess the thing you just gotta do there is just wait till the next election. Yeah. Which, how long is that out? <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, two years? Okay, two's not bad. Three or four? I don't know. It's coming up, but... Right, fuck, yeah. man. I think you could power through to that, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, I hope so. But, hey. I liked Arnold again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll go great. Now it's time we terminate. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. <laughs> oh, that'd be so fucking awesome. Uh, I just to, just to hear him say stuff, not him being governor. Again. Yeah, I would bring him out as like my guy who just says things, but yeah. he's not running. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be back with tax cuts. Like, <laughs> sure, why no, Arnold. <laughs> why not? He's gonna give them to the one percent only. <laughs> yeah, but if he said, I don't have to. I don't have to follow through. No. The thing we've learned in recent years is you could say whatever the fuck you want, <laughs> and then two thousand dollar checks out the door, Jack. Yeah. Day one. Or then uh, <laughs> the six hundred before counts, so it's really fourteen hundred, and it'll take us a couple months to get into you. Actually, maybe. Good job. Yeah, big trouble in little China. It. Made eleven point one million dollars on a budget of nineteen to twenty five million. Yeah, I don't think that even includes marketing. That is a bomb. <laughs> and studio executives hated this. They did not like the film that John Carpenter made. Really? Is that true? That's true. Uh, Kurt Russell, prior to uh, screening at Beyond Fest uh, a couple years back now had not seen the film since it was screened for I forget which executive but he Kurt Russell said that um, those are the only two times he's seen it on the big screen and the audience reception at Beyond Fest made him like it, it was very heartwarming to him because the executives were like they, they didn't want this movie anymore and he him and Carpenter have gone on saying like 
they they think the executives wanted like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's not what you're doing here. I've definitely <laughs> kind of like heard... the inverse Temple of Doom almost, you know. I've definitely heard that, but the other story I heard is that when they did test screenings for it, it like tested like massive. No, the test audiences liked it. Mm. Test screening audiences loved it. It was like it was going to be like a guaranteed hit. But the executives didn't know how to market it mm-hmm. because in their head, like I said, they were like Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what we have. That's what we're going to get with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. <laughs> and that's fine because just at this point in my life, this is a more rewatchable movie for me. But I've also seen Raiders of the Lost Ark like a hundred times. Yeah. I have not seen Big Trouble in Little China a hundred times. Now, I teed up in preparation for recording this that I may have fallen out of love with this film. That is very untrue. I think this might arguably be John Carpenter's most straight-up, like, entertaining movie. You're goddamn right. All right, let me tell you, Diego, Diego is, is downplaying what the fuck horrible act he committed. Which is, I was just checking in with him to make sure we were still recording today. As I do, as a responsible co-host. And I'm about to sit down to rewatch it, right? I'm about to rewatch Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> And Diego texts me, what if I didn't love it this time? So this motherfucker, now I'm watching Big Trouble in Little China through that lens of what the fuck is this fucker going to (laughs) say about this movie that I'm going to have to strangle him live on the air. (laughs) Totally fucked with my groove, man. (laughs) Well... Someone else's response to a film that you love shouldn't change how you feel about the film. Yeah, but no, what you did (laughs) was text me that right before I sat down to watch it. Oh, okay. I mean, like, I can't control that, though. Listen, you you fuck. (laughs) So now I have to sit there and go, like, is this what this little fucker's going to complain about? Is it this thing? (laughs) And so I'm having the argument in my head before I talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm arguing with a straw man version of you for the whole 90 minutes of Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> no, my... The criticism that I have is probably just the one that, that we talked about a little bit at the top of the episode. That, like, yeah, like, it is an attempt at being, like, subversive satire where the white guy's the dumb sidekick who can't fucking fight his way out of a paper bag until the very end, basically. Um, and, you know, it's still, like, yeah, but it's a bunch of white guys writing, like, uh, stuff that Diego could be played off as stereotypical. Diego. That's That's the big thing. Diego. Yes. Fuck you. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Don't try and hide behind this liberal bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you were fucking with me. <laughs> you know exactly what you were doing. <laughs> I'm trying to be like, you know, I'm just standing up for the people, the marginalized. No, you're not. I didn't say that. Whoa, fucking whoa. Fucking No, no. What did, what did Paul Verhoeven call uh, call his, his left-leaning critics back back in, like, Holland? The, oh, I am not. The right. left fascism. <laughs> hey, good for you, Paul. Yeah, it's like Paul. I don't... Okay, okay but I don't, I don't think that... Another guy. I mean, he he said similar comments to Carpenter when uh, Basic Instinct was getting protested. Mm-hmm. His Basic Instinct was like, you know, it was very much in that time. It's like post Silence of the Lambs, or like the you know LGBT community is very wary of films with a possible gay murderer in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think he said something very similar where he was like, "Oh, I'm getting pressure from the left from the first time." 
Mm. But, you know, that's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, these are two of Hollywood's more quote unquote progressive people, and still just, it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it shouldn't, it's not that it should be acceptable. Definitely not now from a, especially up and coming film like yours, but it, it is just something that, yeah, that exists in the world and, and worth. That's the I thing guess. where every few years you get there's chatter about they're gonna remake Big Trouble in Little China, right? They got fucking close recently. Yeah, like it, it, there's always something, and I fucking remember uh, our our mutual friend Sean. This is like years ago. We were talking about it, and I guess one of the screenwriters of one of the versions almost did something. And, like, message Sean, like, trying to, because Sean had been, like, critical of the idea. And he's like, no, no, we're going to change it in this kind of way. And she's like, this, you you can't do this movie again. Mm-hmm. Like, the goalposts of satire have just moved. Yeah. And, like, this was barely, this was barely on the level then. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's the same thing where you get fuckers who are always like, you can't make Blazing Saddles today, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like... Yeah, that's a, there's, that's a good thing. Yeah. The, the, what Blazing Saddles was satirizing no longer exists. Mm-hmm. We, we have progressed as a society since then. But then you talk to people, and people think that Blazing Saddles is funny just because it's a bunch of people saying the N-word a lot. Yeah. And it's like, no. <laughs> Nothing, dude. You know, to, to bring it back to Happy Amblin... You know, like, some of of the lesser Adam Sandler stuff that we have covered and are yet to cover still, (laughs) you know, is a lot of just, like, F-slur, slur this, slur that, other slurs. And it's like, isn't it funny because those people have a funny cadence in their voice? And it's like, yeah, they're funny people, but that doesn't make that line funny. And I think that is kind of, like, unfortunately the mainstream middle America or, like, to America's appeal of comedy like that. And so when people are used to that, that that kind of becomes like the bar that quote unquote comedy has to cross yeah. for it to be like perceived as like entertainment, and uh, Big Trouble in Little China is not that <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, is. You know. But but I like the point you mentioned that like you can't satirize what what like Blazing Saddles did at the time because like that doesn't exist anymore. Big Trouble in Little China is kind of Carpenter's satire love letter to martial arts films the the pulp adventure stuff that he liked growing up mm-hmm. like it's a total love letter to like a bunch of different genres that he loves yeah. and uh it's it's fantastic <laughs> i think it's fantastic well also just totally being a satire of the white male action hero in the 80s yes because there are about 30 other movies that, like this that play it straight you know mm-hmm. Where? And I think it's so cool that, not, not to, like, interrupt, but, like, it's so cool that, like, Carpenter and Kurt Russell kind of established one of, like, the pinnacle of 80s action heroes with Snake Plissken, and then they're able to, at th- this point in their career, satirize that very element. It's yeah. Like, they could they could fucking do anything when they were, like, at the top of their game. Exactly. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. It's a shame, and this is, like, they don't work together again for a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's Escape from L.A. when they finally work together again. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. That's Well, I like that movie. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know what? I'll have to revisit it, and that might be one for a future thing we do. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but we'll see. What was I going to say? Um, yeah, but it's like they do, you know, they had fucking four great movies together. <laughs> <laughs> 
like in a very short period of time. It's just like Elvis fucking. Oh shit! Uh, I haven't seen Elvis. It's okay. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Okay. It's it's like very TV movie, but it's also like, you know, John Carpenter knows how to fucking shoot a movie. Like, mm-hmm. John Carpenter knows what he's doing, and it's weird to see the guy like the Halloween guy, and suddenly he's doing a TV movie, and it's just you know he's just a very good director. And then it's Escape from New York, and then it's fucking The Thing, and then Big Trouble in Little China. Which, you know, of those, of the three theatrical, only one of those was a, was a financial hit. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Now that's, like, considered a gold standard <laughs> mm-hmm. of just team-ups. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. And Kurt Russell then, like, honestly, I think fucking... John Carpenter was the only guy who really knew how to use Kurt Russell well for the longest time. Yeah. Where he's kind of, like... Even even Snake Plissken is a bit of an idiot, you know? <laughs> like He... The morals are very different. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, that, there's actually, like, a lot to unpack between those two characters. Yeah. Well, That's Snake interesting. Well, R.J. McCready, and Jack Burton are all just, like, fascinating characters. But they're all kind of out of their depth and always, like, think they're a little ahead of the game when they aren't. Jack Burton just actively brags about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's the way you use John Carpenter, where he is an action hero, but he's also a little too sure of himself. And I think only around the time of, like... Like, Tarantino seems to use Kurt Russell very well, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, where he's fucking, you know, he's Stuntman Mike in Death Proof. And he's, you know, he's a big game, and he, but he's, he murders women. And then, like, the moment he gets hurt, he just turns into, like, a sobbing idiot. Mm-hmm. And then Hateful Eight, he's fucking, you know, John Ruth the Hangman. He talks a big game. He's, like, the first guy out. Like, Yeah, I guess spoilers for that movie. But, I mean, because Hateful Eight is also kind of like a remake of The Thing, like, yeah. structurally. And so to cast the dude from The Thing, that that's such a fucking bold movie i totally get why people hate it it's it's a very unlikable film but like that's when i was completely on board from the filmmaking but when he takes kurt russell out first i was like oh fuck he's like going for it you know Mm -hmm. so like on some level i had to respect it you cast the dude who is in the movie you're basically remaking and you cut out that element entirely like i don't know that was impressive that's yeah, impressive t- stuff. Tarantino, I mean, say what you will about him. He knows what he's doing as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anything, the filmmaking... You know what movies don't problem. use Kurt Russell very well? In my humble opinion... Don't say it. The Fast and Furious films. Well, I guess we could talk about this, because this is about Kurt Russell. Okay, I think the initial plan was to make Kurt Russell a villain... In, Fu- in Furious 7. Yeah, but motherfucking and, initial plans, it's what it is. No, I know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, if he, he was going to be, like, a surprise villain to go up with, like, Deckard Shaw and whatever, I think that character works a lot better. Um, I will say I'm glad how Fast 9 kind of writes him out of the series, it looks like, I guess. We'll yeah, see. Sure. Um, yeah, there, he, he's just kind of there because he's, he's awesome. But Kurt Russell That's... is not the guy you cast to play someone named Mr. Nobody. I don't know, man. Just You cast him as belligerent Santa Claus. No. Oh, there totally needs to be a fast movie where they save Christmas. <laughs> oh my god, that would be they, amazing. Right? That it that totally fits. They they have to do that for like ten or eleven. 
Oh my god, they never Please. would, but it would be like fast No, no, they could totally do it. A Vin saves Christmas yeah. for his son. <laughs> oh my god, Justin Lin, if you're out there, Justin please, Lin. Christmas please, I trust you. Um, that would kind of be a baller move, like the next, like once they finish the Fast Saga. But then, of course, because they're still making money, they're not gonna stop. Mm. Like they just suddenly go, like, all right, well, we're just gonna do holiday themed Fast and Furious films from now on. Fuck yeah. Oh my god, Universal, they could go up against Michael Myers. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Oh my god, the fast team meets the monsters? Yes! <laughs> yes! So it's like having Costello meet Frankenstein, except that it's Fast and Furious? Yeah. <laughs> it could totally work. Um, they have to teach Frankenstein the meaning of family. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, that would be incredible. It would never Frank do, it, but it would be great. Yeah, yeah. And then Frankenstein has to drive to save the family. <laughs> and he joins the family. And while they're fighting, like, Dracula and his <laughs> army of monsters. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. Vin Diesel drives a car through Dracula's heart. Fuck yeah. <laughs> they had to find the descendant of Van Helsing, who's, like, a fucking, I don't know, like, drag racer. No, no, no. Vin is the descendant of Oh Van my Helsing. god, yeah. Yeah. Those crazy Toretto jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. Just fucking great. Great shit. Alright, who else is in this movie, though? Um, bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah, Kim... Kim, Kim Cattrall. Um, Dennis Dunn. Who James who, Hong. If we want to talk about fucking Hollywood racism, the fact that he was not a bigger actor... But, yeah, he's fucking great in, in this. And, I'm surprised uh, our previously he hasn't, discussed Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I'm surprised he never had like a career like resurgence towards the end. Yeah, like maybe he, he's, he's just, still working. He, yeah, he but, still does stuff once in a while. He, yeah, yeah, I think he does like a lot of plays now. Mm-hmm. Good for him. I just wish you know someone should fucking be like, hey, because he's kind of the fucking MVP of this movie. Oh yeah, he's great. Like obviously, Kurt Russell is still like the lead, even though in the film he's like. The, the bumbling sidekick. He does get the big poster stuff, and Dennis Dunn doesn't really. Um, but he's he's great. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's fantastic, and yeah, he, he's sixty nine years old. He could still do stuff, man. Yeah. So, someone out there, if you're making a movie, and you can use a, a senior citizen in your film, hit up Dennis Dunn. Speaking of senior citizens, uh, <laughs> James Hong's still alive. He's ninety two. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. Do we even have to talk about how great James Hong is, like, as an actor? He's terrific. Yeah. Like, he's Hollywood, like, royalty. Mm-hmm. He's a legend. Like, beyond legend at this point. Yeah. He's been playing old people for, like, 40 I years. I know, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> like the original Godzilla or something Whoa, or does he I do I, I think he's either in the original Godzilla or he does a voice in the American cut of Godzilla he is Serizawa in uh, King of the Monsters hey yeah uncredited so yes you're correct so that that's for the American dub <laughs> of recut. course I'm correct <laughs> I could have sworn he was on an episode of Columbo but I'm not finding it I know. He's also in Abel Ferrara's China Girl, which is a 
adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. And I just saw it for the first time last year, and it's terrific. It's a little harder to track down, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a, that's a harder one to find. Yeah, but it's really good. That's my another recommendation for you today. And uh, also in the Two Jakes, which keeps coming up in our podcast <laughs> yeah, retrospective the right now. Well, he's in the original Chinatown. Oh, fuck, is he? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the, the butler. Yeah, he's the fucking guy that brings him to Chinatown. <laughs> Good fucking lord. So here's the question. Is Big Trouble in Little China a sequel to Chinatown? I, no. <laughs> oh, this is what happened after uh, uh, Noah Lop- sold Lopan was land. secretly pulling all the strings. It all <laughs> makes sense now. <laughs> Why do you think there are two Jakes? No. (laughs) (laughs) Lopan was uh, manipulating Noah Cross. Yeah. Upstanding member of society, Noah Cross was just a victim of Lopan. No. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) No, no, yeah, we shouldn't say that. Whoa. (laughs) No, that's a villain. I think we talked about that, too. Like, that's a villain you just don't joke about. He's just disgusting. Yeah, but we are joking about him right now. <laughs> no, moving on. <laughs> There's a lot of other people in this movie, and a lot of other people who are uh, in other John Carpenter films. I yes, just... Victor Wong. Yes, also great. He's been in a... That's another guy who pops up in just a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. He's in Tremors, man. Should we do Tremors at some point? Maybe. That's that... a fail. Yeah, so. that's the thing. we got to find a weird excuse to do it. Yeah. Um, Maybe something for Halloween, because, like, we usually do a John Carpenter movie for Halloween, and we're not doing that for Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, but I think we're overdue on doing Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) I kind of do, too. Yeah. It's on HBO Max right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Watch it, fuckers. Also, just get the the Blu-ray or the, the recent 4K, if you got a 4K player. The only guy I can't think of ever seeing him in something else... Is the actor who played uh, Eddie Lee, uh, Donald Lee, played him. Um, and I just clicked on his Wikipedia page. And uh, he is a cab driver in uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I do not remember that. But he's also on the World Security Council in The Avengers. <laughs> ah. So I have seen him in something else. They just kind of dropped that thread, huh? After Winter Soldier? <laughs> well, because they all got killed. Oh, yeah. Winter Soldier has, like, a brief moment in it where it's like, hey, S.H.I.E.L.D. is bad and we should destroy it. And you're like, yeah. But then, like, Black Widow's like, I'm not going to follow orders anymore. And it's like, that's not good. Yeah. And then the movie ends. (laughs) (laughs) It raises very interesting questions. Yep. That's still... That was the last moment where it looked like the MCU might go in an interesting direction. Kind of, yeah. That was, like, the last moment. Yeah, and I keep cutting MCU stuff out of out of these because I just don't want to keep relitigating stuff. Yeah. But I do, I I completely agree. And it's like now there's all I see all these theories and like, oh, what does the multiverse mean? How's it going to connect? And it's just like, wow, I'm so tapped out of this stuff that like I can't even imagine putting like like my fingers on the keyboard and typing out theories. Yeah, because <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Like the, whatever they decide down the line is is what the answer will be. <laughs> They don't have a, an answer yet. <laughs> Multiverse is 100% just, like, marketing. Like, that's it. That's all yeah. it is. It's... Yeah, like, we were talking about the DC stuff earlier, and it's, like, the same thing there, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just going to say whatever worked was in the real timeline, whatever doesn't. Like, oh, that was just, uh, that was Earth-57 or something. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's Earth six two three. This is Earth six two six. Yeah, so what you know. is the MCU Earth? Um, uh, I think it's six two six. I only remember that because of like I was how into it I was okay. in like phase two or stuff. I think it's six two six. All right, but I, I might be wrong. I haven't seen Loki. Maybe they tell you there. I was watching it and I was enjoying it more than I enjoyed any of the other uh, Marvel shows, and then I just stopped. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, I, I heard the, the showrunner's, like, actually, like, the talented person they got. Yeah, these. but I also think a big part of it is that it's just a dumb time travel show. Mm. Like, it's not trying to be about bigger things. Yeah. Because they just, they just don't know how to do it. Mm. But I didn't finish it, so I don't know. Mm. Oh, he's coming back for season two. Hey! The I only like, one. I like fucking What's-His-Face. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think he's like top three actors in in the MCU, like of the make... recurring people. I really know? want a Loki ride at one of the Disney parks. <laughs> that could be really just fun. just so they can do like one of those like hologram Tom Hiddleston's to come out and yell at you or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could work. They could do it. Mm-hmm. I saw the Spider Man swinging into action at Disneyland or whatever. Yeah, that's genuinely kind of impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean the theme park stuff's always a little impressive. But it's just, you know, it's Disney. How about that Jungle Cruise? Oh, hey. Uh, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> oh, Hollywood. I like the poster. It's a good poster. Speaking of posters, I don't know how I'm going to cut around this. I have this poster. You have the Big Trouble in Little China poster? Yeah, it's somewhere in a closet right now. But I oh, okay. It. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good poster. It is really good. Drew Struzan, man. Yeah. Like, the one time John Carpenter was, like, even tangentially in that orbit. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, you might, be a, you might be brought into that weird clubhouse of 80s filmmakers. Well, he, his, Drew Struzan did the, the Thing poster, too, right? Thing, that's a horror movie. That's a little different. <laughs> mm. This is a straight-up, like, this could almost be an Amblin movie poster right here. Mm. You know? Like, yeah, y- yeah. young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back to the Future. <laughs> or some other bullshit. <laughs> I don't know what's, what's up with Drew Struzan. Sometimes he he's... I'm hearing he's retired. Other times he's not. I guess it just depends on how much, like, cast they, yeah. they bring up to him in a truck. And, like, hey, you know, if you're going to do, like, pay someone their weight in gold, didn't it's he, a pretty uh, good guy to do it for. Didn't he get robbed? What? Didn't someone, like, steal a bunch of his posters or something? I have no idea. I remember that being a story at one point. How do you even, like, like, what is the thought process of the robber? You can't sell them. I think that was what this person was doing, that they were saying they were, what, like, that they had them, like, at a storage place somewhere, but then secretly they were selling them. I think that's what happened. Oh, it was, one, it was something like that. All right, I, I, I could guess... be a hundred percent wrong, though. Okay, it, okay. Doesn't, it doesn't appear to be on his Wikipedia page. Yeah, no, it's a great poster. It's Honestly, a great... lot of those guys, a lot of those Hollywood guys, seem to have a weird story, where at least one person like really ripped them off. Like Stan mm-hmm. Lee's got a story like that. Like he late in his career, a couple, unfortunately, he got yeah, but like late in his career, he like got really robbed, mm. and, and like the MCU kind of really helped him out, getting out of like financial straits. Oh, like John so that's Milius, like a nice story at least. John Milius's accountant like fucked him, 
and like he couldn't afford to put his kids through college. Oh. And he like was trying to write for Deadwood just so he could get some money coming in. And the fucking like producer of Deadwood were like, we can't have John Milius on the writing staff. And so he was like, we'll just give you money. <laughs> oh, okay, that's and they good. Gave John Milius money. And then like a few years later, John Milius got Rome for HBO. And fucking Milius <laughs> paid the guy back. <laughs> Whoa, wait. John Milius created Rome? Yeah, he's one of the guys. He's like the co-creator of Rome. I don't know how I never knew that. Oh, that's crazy. That is, that's a great show. John Milius a little ahead of its time, but yeah, that's basically good paved for the way for uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, like Rome yeah. is totally like early Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally worth checking out too, if, yeah. if uh, anyone's interested. You could tell there's like budget constraints just because of the time. You know, yeah. they couldn't put that much money in TV shows, but like with that in mind and knowing that the ending's a little rushed because of just cancellation. Um, it, totally worth checking out. Yeah. It, it's a great show. The first season, at least, is just, like, really great. The first like, season's, like, another level. Season two is, like, okay, we're... It's a little lopsided, but that's because it got canceled. Mm-hmm. So, which is a shame. I don't know how that one didn't work. Like, yeah, I guess well, just a little too ahead of its time, man. Yeah, super expensive, and it, it's not exactly something you could, like, sell merch for. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to sell merch for our gritty Rome drama. Yeah, I guess that's what uh, Game of Thrones solved that equation. Mm-hmm. Was that, like, oh, you can also sell, like, Khaleesi shirts. Yeah. I hope she doesn't shit. turn out to be Dragon Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, people fucking like dragons. Remember how that show ended? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the funniest yeah. fucking shit on earth. <laughs> How's that Khaleesi tattoo coming? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I do genuinely feel bad for those people. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know. That, that was a fun, like, fandom to be in for, for a couple years, for yeah. sure. I think it'll bounce back when, like, the next book comes out. Yeah. Cause I mean, because those... it's just, like, you know, at, at its best and its worst, like, it. there's a reason that all took off, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a fun, like, little world to, like, experience for for a little bit. Yeah, I can't wait to go back with the prequel or whatever. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Can't wait. Anyways. Can't wait. <laughs> but no, uh, Big Trouble in Little China is actually a pretty fun world to, like, experience, too. Yeah, it's, uh... I believe this was written as, like, a Western initially. Do you know that? Yeah, was... set in the 1880s. Yeah, and I guess it was, like, instead of losing his truck, he was gonna lose his horse. Mm-hmm. I think it was the thing. And then they brought in fucking W.D. Richter. <laughs> writer of The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, and I guess he rewrote it. There's a guy with a weird uh, career. <laughs> I've never seen uh, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, well, we're doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next uh, year. Do you want to hold on to your thoughts for it then? or? Um, Yeah, definitely, but uh, okay. you, should, you should check out Buckaroo Banzai one of these days. Okay, I, I know it has its its share of fans. Yeah. Um, W.D. Richter also wrote the, the remake, the first remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is my favorite version. Yeah. And fucking unbelievable film. Goddamn, are they going to do it again one of these days? They have to. Like, I, It's too good not one? to, you know? Well, the in- Invasion was such a disaster. Which you brought up on the last episode because of uh, the Wachowskis did some ghost directing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one was like such a mess. And it has a fucking happy ending. <laughs> which is like the weirdest thing you could do. 
Fuck. I don't know. I, I bet it, it'll be like a prestige series now, like on Amazon or HBO or something. Oh, God, it'll be. But it'll be like the fucking Snowpiercer show that's out right now. Oh, don't say that. That's what it'll don't be. Don't say that. See, that really got to give it to like a really like heady director, you know? Mm-hmm. Someone like Abel Ferrar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that movie's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, his is just fucking like disturbing to a level that like it, I gotta be honest it kind of hurts the movie <laughs> like it's you think so that one is so disturbing I like can't watch it okay whereas the 70s one is finds a good balance between being disturbing and a watchable movie I think the thing that f- this is a, not a criticism for me but like that fucks up the 70s one for me is that yeah maybe there's less overtly disturbing stuff but then it like the flashes of it are like, oh, shit. Yeah, but that's what <laughs> I know? really like. <clears throat> I like that more than, like, every other scene of the Ferrar one it really takes off is just, like, a nightmare. <laughs> like, that scene when they're in the military hospital is, like, just fucking one of the darkest things I've ever seen. Yeah, that's not great. That's, that's like, super upsetting. Would be a real shame if a young Macaringo watched this movie at, like, 2 a.m. one night because he was flipping through the channels. Oh. <laughs> oh. Develop insomnia at an early age because of the fucking Body Snatchers movies. But you know what Big Trouble in Little China has in common with the Body Snatchers films? Uh, what? All of them have great practical effects. Hell yeah. Because Big Trouble in Little China isn't just a satire on, like, martial arts action films and, and gunslinging action heroes. It's a monster movie. It's also a monster fantasy adventure film. Yeah. It's basically like, how many video games have ripped off the structure of Big Trouble in Little China oh, yeah. and James Cameron's Aliens? Goddamn, you know what? Maybe if this movie had waited, like, one year. <laughs> like, because fucking, when does the Nintendo Entertainment System drop in the United States? Let's... It's like 85, right? Check. Hang on, I actually want to get this right, because that's a good point. Nintendo... Yeah, October 85. It's like, well, 83 is when it comes out in Japan as the Famicom. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 85 is United States. Okay. And I think uh, the Nintendo boom in the 80s is a, what leads to a lot of kind of the rise of Eastern pop culture in the United States. I think that's a big part of it. And I think maybe if you'd given it like a few years, maybe... People would have been more receptive to Big Trouble in Little China, but then again, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because like I, the the other issue is that if you look at those NES games, a lot of them they've re- they really changed them for the West to make them more appealing to Western audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, if you like look at the poster for Mega Man in uh, Japan versus over here, and shit like that, or like Castlevania. You know, Castlevania they very much catered those to uh, like uh, oh god for a western audience and then as the series got popular and now if you look at a Castlevania game from like the last 10 years they're definitely allowed the more Asian influence in Mm -hmm. ever since Symphony of the Night really (laughs) Um, so maybe like not a few years but I don't know this feels like early like you know beat em up energy (laughs) yeah I mean, because the, the film, like most video games, just tosses you into the story. Because video games, you kind of have to do that, right? Yeah. Unless you're like fucking Skyrim and it's like, no, let's let's have this entire half hour be just a, a cart ride so you can design your character. Yeah, that's, just... that's fun. 
it's I like Skyrim. <laughs> That's like the worst choice in that game. <laughs> I have played so many hours of Skyrim and I have yet to figure out if it's a good game. Like I just don't know. I'm at a it's loss. It's just vibes. I, like everyone we're talking about yeah, vibes. Yeah, but the vibes film. suck too. <laughs> no, no, no. Playing it late at night with uh with some substance enhancers. It's just maybe that's just what I know. Maybe, yeah. If I want a vibe, I'll play New Vegas. That's mm. Skyrim can be colorful at night though. You know. So can fucking New Vegas, you coward. Not really. Yeah, this go to... is, it's not like a monotonous look. You know, we're not we're not getting into this. Listen, right now, you but... <laughs> you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> New Vegas is one of the best games ever. Skyrim is not. Is that acceptable I mean, to you? Fallout 3 looks blander than New Vegas. Yeah, I agree. New Vegas has the strip, man. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I didn't say it was monotonous. Fucking challenge me. Oh my god. Okay, well, Big Trouble in Little China is also a gorgeous-looking film. Yeah, but that's Carpenter. Of I mean, even John like Carpenter the and... scene of this is really good. Which I believe they shot later, because that was like the one studio note they kind of had to do. Mm. Which is like, they, the studio felt we the the ramp up of the fantasy stuff was a little too slow, so they wanted a scene where a guy shoots magic out of his hands. Oh, okay. <laughs> which I don't know if that helps the movie. I don't know. It's um, a cool scene. I like that moment. It's very cool. Moment. Um, yeah. Leave Jack Burton alone. That's great stuff. But I wanted to say that the film looks gorgeous, uh, and that's because it's lit, and the cinematography is done by Dean Cundey, legendary yeah. cinematographer, who's kind of, you know, not, not been busy working, but I know he does a lot of, like, student workshop stuff. Uh, I, I know a friend who mentored with him, uh, and he's, he's apparently a wonderful collaborator. And here's a note that I, I told you before recording would make you very happy. Dean Cundy just wrapped production on the book of Boba Fett. Oh, shit. Yeah, Rodriguez brought him out of, like, big film retirement oh, for fuck, the book of Boba great. Fett. Yeah, that's fucking perfect. Goddamn, fucking Star Wars. Yeah, like, right? Just, just like, when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Like, no, it's so fucking upsetting. Because it's like, Rodriguez is coming off Alita Battle Angel, which we loved, and many people who saw it actually did like. That's yeah. the crazy thing about that. Um... We're all like, fuck yeah, whatever Rodriguez is doing next. Oh, he's doing a Mandalorian episode? Perfect. The episode's fine, but his directing with the action is, like, obviously killer. Mm. And it's like, well, he just he should get his own Star Wars project. Oh, they're doing Boba Fett. I don't give a fuck about Boba Oh, Rodriguez is doing yeah, it? Exactly. Okay, yeah. Goddamn, uh, fucking well, Rodriguez, wherever you are, please be, like, using this to get the Alita sequel. Like, <laughs> please. Well, well, him and Cameron, now that they're in Disney's pockets... Well, I maybe Disney might be in their pockets because they're like, you know, Mavericks. Yeah. But we'll we'll see how that goes. I hope it works out. I hope all of this works out. Same. That that could be something really. Well, fun. that's great news. Mm-hmm. Coming. Uh... Oh my God! It's coming this December. I didn't know that. Wow, that's quick. Yeah. Fuck. I never thought I'd care about Boba Fett. I know, I same. Am. I don't give a flying fuck about Boba Fett. Yeah. But you know what would make that great, though? If Boba what? Fett was, like, the Jack Burton of the Star Wars universe. 
That could be tons of fun. Like, where he's, like, full of himself, but he's just the sidekick. But Big Trouble in Little China, how much do we want to break this down? Because, like, this this is a very busy movie. Yeah, it's very Obviously busy. not as busy as something like Speed Racer, which we talked about last week, but... Um, I think we can go through it, like, in the broad strokes. Alright. Um, which is, it's about truck driver Jack Burton. <laughs> and he's rolling into town one day to see his old friend. And they, they start gambling, and then Wang owes them a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, that, You know what? This is actually, like, a really... Like, it's a silly movie, but I like the setup a lot. Of just, like, oh, they were gambling all night, they owe money. All right, let's just help me do this one thing, and then I'll get your money. And then it turns into this whole fucking thing. Like, that's great. It's a very... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's unexpected... You know, like, it's it's a very, just, like, normal opening for a movie. Like, this could be the start of something, like, like After Hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> and then this is just, it's kind of like uh, John Carpenter's After Hours. I mean, hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's, that's my, that's my pitch for this, this episode. That's. Here's, I, here's After Hours, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> that I guess rewatching it that I think might make this movie age weird for some people. Um, it is so clear how much the MCU is trying to be Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> like I know we're trying to stay off MCU talk. No, no, I. I had a note that I wasn't sure I was going to bring up. I think Thor Ragnarok is Taika trying to do. Um, big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I would agree. A little bit. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of the energy of, like, throwing you into it and then just you have to accept this, but it's silly. I think the only difference is, is that the MCU, like, winks at you a lot more. Whereas this mm-hmm. this definitely winks, but not in the way you maybe would expect it to. <laughs> and I think the emotional stuff, like, because there is, like, a dramatic story here. It's just our perspective and, like, our entry point into it is Jack Burton, who is an idiot and very, albeit very lovable and very funny, he ends up, like, you know, like, he, he he's assisting the story, even though he's like, what the fuck is happening, like, at yeah. all times? And that's what makes it great, but the, the stakes of the story are never less than serious, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I think they're very Wang, sincere. The story for Wang is 100% serious, but Jack Burton is just like... I don't know what's going on. <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs> and it never really stops. Well, here's a take. Is Jack Burton, like, the quintessential American hero? Not the one we want to be the American hero, but, like, maybe the I'm American hero? I think so. But mainly because I, he is 100% doing John Wayne in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love... That out of two of the three theatrical carpenter joints that that uh, he he uh, Kurt Russell worked with him on, it's like Escape from New York is doing Clint Eastwood, uh, kind of talking like yeah. this, <laughs> and Big Trouble in Little China is John Wayne. Exactly, and you it's know, and John Wayne definitely represents the American hero of like showing up at the last minute and taking credit. <laughs> you know, just yeah. interjecting yourself into stories that you have nothing to do with. Oh, hey, real bravo. Yeah. I mean, you know, but he's also, is... like, but, they're, like, 
I don't think people get that his character is like really competent in Rio Bravo, but he is also kind of a bit of a dope. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's like he's all like bashful around women and shit. Mm-hmm. Like he's great in that. John Wayne has this really like, you know, John Wayne was kind of a fucked up dude. But yeah, his, yeah. his on camera character kinda has this weird like big kid energy, you know? Of, mm-hmm. Like he's a tough guy. He's 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 acting tough, but he he can deliver on that. But he's also like really awkward around women sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's like the better John Wayne. Yeah, John yeah. That that's the stuff that made him like an icon, and that I I think still holds up. Like you could show Real Bravo to someone now and be like, it's just like a nice movie. Yeah. Like there's a little bit of action. There's like some stuff that obviously doesn't age great, but like. It's so fucking great. Well, John Wayne <laughs> That's was, a five-star movie. John Wayne, used correctly, is so good that you can read up on John Wayne and still like his movies. Yeah, like yeah. That's that's the real kicker there. <laughs> and you know, Kurt, Kurt Russell uh, is is more conservative. Like, yeah, significantly more conservative than I, I think people like expect of him, just because he also knows to not talk about it. <laughs> well, he's, he's very vocal. He says he's a libertarian. That's been the mm-hmm. thing he says in interviews, which I can live with that. <laughs> If it's going to be any right-wing thing, I'd rather it be that (laughs) than him, like, stumping for Trump or something like that. Yeah. Like, I think he's one of those guys who's, like, pro-gun rights, but also is, like, like, I don't, whatever happens in people's bedrooms, I don't care, you know? Which Mm -hmm. is, like, fine. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to explain LGBTQ to him, you know? Yeah. Well, see, that's but, what I wish the Republican Party actually was. Like, you can actually kind of debate that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to them just hating everyone and everything that isn't white. <laughs> yeah. And being anti-vax, but also secretly getting vaccinated. Yeah, so you don't die. all of getting vaccinated. Yeah. Every Republican politician's doing that, by the way, yeah. just so you know. Did Marjorie Teal, though... Okay, maybe not every politician. The crazy one who thinks she's a Jewish face laser... <laughs> Maybe not all of them, but 90% of Republican politicians that are complaining about mandatory vaccinations have already been vaccinated. And motherfucker, 90%. Donald Trump has the vaccine. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) fucking get the vaccine. Mm. These people aren't listening to this show. No, yeah. I don't think a single Republican (laughs) listens to any of my podcasts. Yeah. That would be shocking to find out. Honestly, yeah. Uh, if, If you are out there... Comment below and <laughs> yeah. leave. <laughs> no, no, keep listening, but don't tell me. So don't I forget to like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> Maybe just like and subscribe. You don't need to share. Yeah, don't know the more we, viewers, the better. I don't really know if we can go into the whole plot of this movie, because it is a lot. It is a lot, but we could talk about highlights and stuff like that. Like, I, I think, like you All said, right, the here's the strokes. problem that we're... This is the same problem we ran into with Speed Racer for me. Uh, the whole movie is the highlight for me. <laughs> so maybe I'll let you take point on the, the, the highlight scenes. Okay. This did not start off as a favorite Carpenter for me, for sure, when I was younger. I liked it, but I was like, yeah, you know, The Thing, They Live, Escape from New York, Halloween. Well, Halloween also, while me acknowledging that it's like a great film, I, I didn't fully love it until... We talked through it on the retrospective, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, as I got older, I came to, like, appreciate different things about it. There are and, still uh, plenty of Halloween cowards out there who don't yeah. recognize <laughs> the brilliance of it and say it's one of Carpenter's weaker films. 
it's it's not in my top five, but please recognize that there are like ten Carpenter films that have five stars for me, yeah. including Halloween. <laughs> so, yeah. that's, so like that's, that's where okay. I'm coming at it from. Uh, you hear that, Abby? I don't think she likes Halloween that much. Oh no, she's yeah. I was calling her out too. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was just yeah, letting you, you hear the, that. I was letting you take the bullet for the moment, but <laughs> no, no, I'm keeping all this in. Bunch of cowards um, out there. But the, the point I wanted to make was that like satire, just as like as a concept, I I had trouble wrapping my brain around until like college, basically, and so like I didn't really care for uh, Starship Troopers, and obviously now I love it, but like I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's not it, like I, I guess it's like funny, you know. And Big Trouble in Little China is very, uh, it's, it's very comedic. And I was, I wanted more like grit yeah. with my John Carpenter at the time. I guess. I guess and, like for me, Carpenter always just struck the right nerve with me. Where like every time I saw one of his movies for the first time, it was like a moment for me. Like mm-hmm. I think the only one I ever kind of like came to slower on. And it might be embarrassing to admit, but, like, Assault on Precinct 13. I, I saw that, like, way late. And I remember watching it the first time being like, I liked it, but I didn't really, I don't see what the big deal is. Okay. And then, but then, I, like, re-watching it, I was like, oh, no, this is actually really good. I, I can get that. That's one that hit with me, for sure, like, mm-hmm. right away. But I think, but that was also, like, I think it was one of the, like, last Carpenters I got to. Mm-hmm. So, and at the same time, it's one of those ones where it was, like, everyone was talking that one up. Yeah, yeah. And then you watch it, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, that's solid. But it's, it, no, that's, a, it, it's on Precinct 13 rules. Yeah. So. And look, even if someone out there doesn't love Assault on Precinct 13, I think that theme is undeniable. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just one of the coolest fucking things ever. Well, I think you could honestly say that about every Carpenter film. Oh, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China's got, like, a pretty great little theme, too. Yeah, the too, Pork though. Chop Express. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. This whole movie is just fucking great. This, yeah. Again, that's another problem with it. It's like, yeah, we could just be like, that was great. That was great. So start picking all... your scenes that you like and we could talk about them. Okay. Uh, meeting the, the the showdown, the Chinese showdown when they first arrive in, in Little China. Oh, yeah. Like, just right off the bat, it, it just heads into straight weirdness. It's like, oh, you, like you turn this corner and you've entered another world, basically. And I gotta be honest, as someone that lives in L.A. County, that is basically how L.A. operates, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, L.A. definitely is that kind of vibe. where yeah. just like... I mean, like, Hollywood Boulevard, the Arclight. You turn the corner from the Arclight parking lot, where it's like this gorgeous, like, peak Los Angeles <laughs> sunset boulevard. You turn the corner, and it's like, oh, wow. We have a major problem with, like, <laughs> taking care of urban environments. You don't have to move, like, ten feet in a direction to, to like, have these whiplash yeah. effects, you know? And that's obviously very different because the world of Little China is actually, like, really exciting yeah. and adventurous. And Los Angeles is not that. <laughs> Los Angeles, if you if you can get, like, a view of the whole city, like, from from on top of a hill or from, like, the air... L.A. looks like a joke. <laughs> well, it's like a like ten cities yeah. like crashed into each other on the freeway. It's a disaster. That's what it looks like. Yeah, like it's it's insane. What'd be cool if all the people like leaving though the property values just dropped? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> That'd be actually very nice. 
then I can move closer to the beach. Yay, beach. Uh, I, I just like the, the weather's better by the beach. That's why I'm asking. This is San Francisco Chinatown, though, right? Yes, yes, yeah. I only I only brought up that because uh, I wanted to talk about how weird LA is again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, this is San Francisco, and... Um, it's, I, I haven't like a been whole, to San Francisco's Chinatown. Honestly. We get like a whole like martial arts battle in the middle of the street. That is like a really good scene that Jack Burton just watches. Mm-hmm. And I gotta admit, one of like the great uh, like Jack Burton little tr- things they give him is he's just holding a knife the whole scene. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up too. <laughs> like, what he is never he gonna puts do? It down. <laughs> You're just like, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? Alright, we're getting out of here. And then... He just drives through, and he's like, every little movement, he's like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? Then he runs over a guy, and he's like, what the fuck was that? Well, what's great is that everyone else in the film knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what's so good, is that they keep... And then, like, there's all these moments where you think they're going to slow down to explain everything, and then they just don't. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the best is... When, like, after, like, again, like, 30 things have happened by this moment. When they go to, uh, the White Tiger, is that what it's called? The, uh, where they're having all the, the escort women? Is that what the place is called? Oh, I don't remember. Um, well, when they go there and then the sky explodes in green flame, like, Jack Burns like, alright, now I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, you ran over a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he lived. Yeah, and... But then they're like, do you want the truth? And he's like, I'll take it. And they're like, well, we don't know. <laughs> That's about <laughs> as much as you get. You know what other movie this reminds me of? Hmm. Total Recall. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, in terms of the pacing, which I think both films are paced like, like study these. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but also, you know, Arnold's like stumbling through that film. And, uh, but he, he is like intentionally written to be a badass in that movie. Yeah. Because that's, like, the secret. Even though it's, like, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're not going to make <laughs> yeah. him a total goofball, you know? Um, and, and him being unaware of basically everything around him and other people telling him what to do. And that film's approach to that makes it, like... It's, like, this meta thing where it's, like, well, how much of this is real, how much is not? Yeah. Who's lying to you? <laughs> and here, it's just, you can't keep up with it. So Jack can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just tons of like if I saw that like as a ten year old, this would be like my favorite film ever. And I just didn't. I decided to look up uh, who gave it good reviews. Roger On Letterbox or like critically? Critically, Roger Ebert did not like it. <sighs> Roger. Um, this is that weird era where Roger Ebert will be like. They put the special effects before the story, and then he's criticizing films that are like, "No, Raj, that's that's great. Like, that's mm-hmm. a great movie." Yeah. Um, oh, and he uh, he he also complained about the stereotyping. Mm. Um, which I mean, you know, it's good to remember that pe- that wasn't like this isn't like a new complaint about the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harlan like, Ellison stuff... loved it. No, who? Harlan Ellison, the science fiction writer. Oh. Said That's writing cool. that it had some of the funniest lines spoken by any actor this year. Well, Harlan, not only that, but it has some of the funniest lines written and said by any characters mm-hmm. of any year. I think there are very few 
of genre movies that are funnier than Big Trouble in Little China. A live-action cartoon that will give you release from the real pressure of your basically dreary lives. Jesus. (laughs) That's Harlan. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, hey, in 2021, he's not wrong. Yeah. Well, no, he's dead. Uh... (laughs) Harlan died like three years ago. I only had, like, a stroke, and I think he held in for, like, four more years out of sheer spite. <laughs> that guy was a him. genuine lunatic. Hmm. Maybe less good, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to say he was a great guy, but <laughs> was a character. <laughs> Roger Ebert wrote, Special effects don't mean much unless we care about the characters who are surrounded by them. And in this movie, the characters often seem to exist only to fill up the foregrounds. Roger. Mm. Roger, buddy, what are you talking about? The only thing is, Roger Ebert in this era writes, like, a lot of the people were writing about movies on YouTube, like, eight years ago. Yeah. It's like so he... weird. I guess time really is a flat circle. Kind of, yeah. And, I, I, I mean, we have been very vocal about, like, certain things that have taken off in movies and, like, certain things we, we kind of find is, like, less interesting. And I just think it's so interesting, like, what what criticisms are repeated, but also, like, what what ends up sticking, you know? Because, like, I think we can agree something like the problem with superhero movies, for example, isn't that they're making movies about superheroes, because we do like a handful of them a lot. It's just that they're doing them all the time, mm-hmm. and they're very clearly on a, convey- like a conveyor belt, yeah. you know? And special effects aren't inherently a problem. There is, like, a genuine artistry that goes into VFX, CGI, uh, the, the poor people in, in the CGI, like, industry yeah. being treated like garbage, you know? People and so to see dungeon. people like disrespect, that is unfortunate. But there is, like, there, it takes a real know-how to create something that is visually stunning as an Avatar or a Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever CG blockbuster that you really love like a lot of hard work went into that and i don't know it's just not cool to see that disrespected yeah i will say this about the special effects in this movie um there's a lot of really good ones in this and then there's also that monkey man monster (laughs) i love that i love it whatever it is i love it but it is it's goofy looking (laughs) all the monster stuff is really goofy looking in this but i think that's like because part of what makes it such a fun movie, too, you know? Yeah. Like, if it was too scary... Well, I think it's like, that weird... It... Again, like, there's such a, a thing today where people want... Pra- everyone claims they want practical effects back in Hollywood, but at the same time, they complain about any CG effect that isn't 100% real. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, that's never the issue. Like, I love movies that look fake. <laughs> yeah. And this is a movie that definitely looks fake a lot of the time. I mean, mm-hmm. we go with the joke where when he's driving around, when they have the chase scene through the San Francisco streets, and then they just end up on, like, it's a film set, you know? Yeah. Like, they literally drive into a very artificial world. And that's great. Like, I don't know how you don't have fun with that as a viewer. And instead, it's like, I don't, you can't marry those two things of wanting practical effects back, but also, like, hating it when it doesn't look 100% real. I think people just, like, attach themselves and kind of, like, parrot a criticism once it gets really popular. Yeah. You know, and it's like, maybe they don't, you don't think too forwardly about that. I will say there's a lot of generic-looking CGI and a lot of, uh, 
a lot of bad CGI, it tends to be that the movie itself looks very ugly and bland. Yeah. Also, I should just note, on, on the subject of CGI, apparently there's this mentality where it's like, oh, people, they have to make movies look more drab and, like, low contrast to, to make the CGI work. You talk to anybody with passing knowledge of, like, how CGI actually works, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, high contrast stuff makes it much easier for people to get, like, stuff feeling more tangible. So I don't I don't know who the fuck started that, but that's not true. Hey, what are you gonna do? So you want more stuff to look like Big Trouble in Little China, if anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. With like deep lighting and shadows and bright colors. And... Fucking Lopan's uh, ceremony room has neon lights in it for some reason. Oh yeah, it fucking rules. <laughs> that's so great. And there's an escalator. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know he's keeping up with the times. Yeah, you know Lopan. Uh, ancient sorcerer and uh, apparently smart businessman. That's the other thing they keep talking about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wait 2,000 years, you're probably going to learn some things, you know? Yeah, I guess. Just from time osmosis. You know how old people always have great wisdom? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) Uh, How do we feel about Kim Cattrall in this movie? I think she's great. I think she's really great. Yeah. What else is Kim Cattrall in? Sex in the City. Oh. Yeah, but like I don't watch that, so it's like this. Star Trek Six. Oh yeah, Undiscovered Country, which is fucking fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good one. Baby uh, Geniuses. Oh no. Yeah. Who is she in Baby Geniuses? I don't know. I'm just looking at her IMDb. She's also, is she the one that is always, like, refusing to do the Sex and the City stuff, so now she's just not going to be in the next one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, who knows what's going on there? <laughs> yeah. She was in a, an episode of The Simpsons in 2009. Who the fuck isn't on The Simpsons? Yeah. It's kind of like Seinfeld. <laughs> like, who wasn't in there? Yeah. Um, but no, I think she's really good in this. And apparently, I guess, the, the writer didn't like her very much really actually let me double check someone someone didn't like her on this movie and john carpenter kind of had a fight for her oh really okay yeah i did not know that he said good things carpenter says good things about uh her in the commentary but mostly you know like basically like she was fun to work with yeah the the studio didn't want kim cattrall hmm. and uh they, they wanted like uh, like a rock star like right. a literal rock star in that role and he right. was like but she's like good <laughs> <laughs> oh okay and she was also in like Porky's and Police Academy hey I'm sure those movies hold up oh absolutely just like, <laughs> you know just like everything from that era <laughs> oh she was I'm a mannequin just... oh I haven't seen that one is, is she the mannequin <laughs> <laughs> But uh, apparently she really liked the role because she wasn't just screaming the whole time. Yeah, no, she, that's that's the kind of fun thing. She ends up being a damsel in distress at the end. Yeah. Like, she gets yeah. kidnapped in a very goofy way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, she's, she holds her own. She's like, you know, she's got her own thing going on. She wants nothing to do with Jack Burton for most of the film. <laughs> mm-hmm. The point where when she, uh, she's, she gets worried about him for that one scene, and then he shows up and he kisses her, and she's like, hey. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Just because I'm worried about you doesn't mean I want that. 
And I mean, that does kind of become like a, rom- a a romantic thing by the end, like the damsel in distress. Yeah, but Jack Burton's such a dope, he can't get out of his own way. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, completely. That's what's But I, I do like the like the development of that relationship, yeah. at least, you know? Like, it, it feels like a, like a classical Hollywood thing just starring Jack Burton. Mm-hmm. And, like, a, a, a big part of, like, the way Carpenter, like, treats women in film is, like, his adoration of someone like Howard Hawks. You know, he always... Yeah references like Howard Hawks films were Hawks such a big inspiration and to him like and that. yeah yeah he, he would always at least for the time write more women that had more dimension than uh was like the norm for for Hollywood movies at the of, of his day you know, it's weird when you watch it now it's like very uh like it's not nothing radical but when you really think about other 80s movies it's like sometimes women are like genuinely just wallpaper in those films mm-hmm. like it's kind of crazy and it's weird when he, and again he's calling from he's like oh I'm inspired by Howard Hawks and it's like Hawks was it, there's a weird regression that happens like post you know sexual freedom in the United mm-hmm. States which has definitely got to be like a backlash to the women's movement yeah and I mean that is something else we should I should mention too because I'm saying Howard Hawks women's were like stronger at the time because of what was the norm but like other artists and other films did like do stuff (laughs) that weren't just like adhering to like uh prior to like Hayes codes and stuff like that like like a a different like sexuality stuff on film existed yeah before like like we we kind of pat ourselves on the back now with releasing stuff that might be moderately progressive like here's a gay relationship on screen and like that that is a good thing but stuff like this existed before in America and in other cultures. <laughs> we don't understand how coding works in films a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, coding has been like deemed like an inherently bad thing, and I don't necessarily know if that's true. Especially in an era when there was more censorship, coding could be used to like get around a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but... that's how you get something like Some Like It Hot, which kind of yeah. like destroyed the Hayes Code, because <laughs> it was just like... That's like a sexy, funny movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of things, but they worked their way around stuff, and that, that was a kind of like one of the things that toppled that, that era of film. I don't know. So there's just a lot of like interesting history, I find, with, with reading yeah. into that stuff. Um, and to go back to the romance, too, like it's, I think movie romances, like now people kind of like, oh, I don't want to see people get into a romance here, and like, see a woman get relegated to this or like a man having to chase like a woman and do this but like they they can be fun when done right yeah (laughs) like i I don't know there's there's this weird thing going on i don't understand i've brought it up a few times on the show where a lot of the tend to be white male executives uh they seem to think the way to write strong women is to make them all like loners who don't need anyone's help and so, like, they have, they end up having no support structure, really. Mm-hmm. And so, and it leads to, you know, so now none of them have any romantic interests, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, like, they should have, but, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with romance. It doesn't need to be in every film. You hear the opposite where, like, executives are like, well, we got to have a romantic interest in this movie because... The women will only see movies with romance in it, which is not true, <laughs> but was an attitude for a long time. And but now it's like a weird thing of we we're writing women as like loners who don't need anyone, and even if they have people in their lives, like they don't trust them and shit like that. 
And then on top of that, you're getting like a weird, like, there's a lot of weird anti-sex stuff in the air right now. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm very, it's, it's a little nerve-wracking seeing both of those things happen <laughs> at the same time. Because, hmm. um, you know, I, I would like to see, there's, I, I think it's, that it's a, again, a weird byproduct of the era of, we thought, like, a lot of people thought that com- combat, like, objectification of women in movies and shit like that, that we had to remove all notions of sex from cinema. Mm-hmm. And that's like, no, that's not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, because, like, it, it is good that at least that, like, the objectification of women on film is, like, severely lessened, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, at least in American film, I, I, I can't speak to, like, every culture, obviously, but it's significantly lessened, right? I think that's okay to say. Um, But, yeah, then we kind of forgot about, like, this normal stuff. And this isn't me pulling a, a Paul Verhoeven or John Carpenter <laughs> where I'm like, you know, we're getting attacked from the left. That's definitely... <laughs> Not what I'm saying. Well, I um, I might be saying that. Okay. <laughs> no, all right. I don't want to say we're getting attacked from the left, but there's always these weird moments where the left becomes useful idiots to conservative agendas by, like, because they think they're fighting for something progressive, you know? Yeah. You see yeah, that, that in a lot I of the, would agree with. You see that in a lot of the, like, anti-sex work talk on the left currently. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, Ashton Kutcher, you fuck. Yeah, all sex work is inherently degrading towards women, is what they say. And it's like, you know, these people, they a lot, a lot, there's a lot of people who make this choice themselves, and the only allies you're going to find in this battle are conservatives who want to get rid of like all pornography and all talk of sex, and then by extension, they want to get rid of quote unquote fringe sexualities, which could be anything right now from just. A sort of kink, but then will almost certainly be expanded to including like gay and lesbians. You know, mm-hmm. that's what always happens. And uh, the left can be that sometimes, where they 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 think they're fighting for something progressive, but they I don't want to say they go too far in it because that's ridiculous. That's not really what happens, but they don't really see the bigger picture of what they're doing, and they ally with people who should never be their allies. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's kind of like when when Democratic politicians try to pull like centrist bullshit, and they're like, you know, we got to we just have to work with the Republicans. We can get them to agree to things, and it's like, but yeah, that's like trust. That's like being the frog and the scorpion. You know, yeah. like the scorpion's gonna sting you. You you don't you don't carry the scorpion across the river, mm-hmm. or you will die. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, but how the hell is the scorpion gonna get across the river? <laughs> We can't leave them. Yes, we can. Yes, that's exactly what we can do, and that's exactly what we should be doing. Yeah. But, what, but, but Diego, how's it going to get across the river? Fuck the scorpion. hope the scorpion dies of COVID. <laughs> oh, hey. That's I like a little that now rough. that's become the thing, is that Republicans are starting to worry that their own base is dying of COVID. <laughs> so yeah, they and they're like, shit, I can't, we can't, we can't claim the elections are rigged if no one's voting for us. <laughs> That's that's a little funny. In this nightmare we have to go through. <laughs> a little. But it is also a thing where it's like, fuck, I, I do genuinely care about everyone getting vaccinated because I don't want it to mutate. And yeah. because, like, enough conservatives 
die they're gonna spread it through like communities of like innocent people their kids and shit that don't know any better you know it's like it's it's all it's a very sad situation yeah it's, it's and sad. frustrating it doesn't doesn't have to be it really doesn't but we live in a dumb world run by dumb people hey you know what i really love about this movie the monsters that but also the fact that jack burton clearly dies a horrible death five minutes after the movie ends that's fucking hysterical you know See, that i I'm probably just an idiot. I never, like, really thought about it that way. I just thought it was, like, a fun ending. It is a fun ending, but the opening is them being like, do you know the whereabouts of Jack Burton? (laughs) It's like, he's fucking dead. Look, I'm I'm willing to bet that was just, like, a a funny happenstance, considering the the additional scene that they they add at the beginning. But that is fucking hysterical. Well, that's kind of like my read on The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and I swear to God, this is the only time I'll bring up that movie in reference to John Carpenter ever again. But, like, the end of that film when he's going to face the robotic rhino, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the last shot of that universe is Andrew Garfield swinging towards rhino's metal horn, and it cuts to black. It's because he dies. (laughs) It's like the Sopranos ending. Yeah, that's how that universe ends. He, He dies right there. Apologies to Andrew Garfield. He was fantastic. But he's dead. Gotta play Don't Stop Believing" underneath that scene. <laughs> and then just have it abruptly cut out. I will absolutely do that after I edit this episode. <laughs> Executive producer David Chase or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I just want to go back to the monsters, though. Because yeah. I, I love a lot about this movie. That's what I'm really drawn to right now. Because I've been replaying the Doom games, the recent mm-hmm. Doom games. Uh, which are fantastic. And uh, John Carpenter could have done the Doom movie. 100%. But they gave it to He could have fucking rocked that shit. There's so many, I think a big problem I have with people, like against people like Paul W.S. Anderson. I want to stress I'm talking about Paul W.S. Anderson so we don't make that mistake again. Is that uh, if you look at his filmography half of those movies pretty much there are like dudes from the 80s I wish had made those movies you know what I'm saying like John Carpenter's Monster Hunter would be like all timer although I really liked his Monster Hunter movie John I Carpenter's think is... Event Horizon would fucking kill everyone <laughs> yeah no that that would ki- well if you got better producers because for whatever you feel about Paul W.S. Anderson um, he got fucked on that movie yeah and I don't particularly like Event Horizon, but mm-hmm. that's just that—that that was unfair. That's all I want to say. All right. Yeah. And, but, and I did like his Monster Hunter a lot. But I think like that's Romero his best film. should have done the Resident Evil films. At least the first one. It would have been kind of cool if it was like a Star Wars thing where everyone did a different one for the first three, at least. Maybe. Which did actually cool. happen. It would have just been cool to see George Romero get a franchise at like the very end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, his script is available online for people it's that are interested. It's, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty nuts. Yeah, I'd, I'd have liked to have seen that movie. <laughs> I w- I would have too. And you know, Romero is the kind of dude. Whenever he got interviewed, people would be like, "You're adding like these more like uh, political messages to your films," and he was like, oh, "I was just writing, like you know, I'm I'm just trying to make a movie." And it's like, "You ain't you ain't getting this one past me, George." <laughs> Because he made Chris Redfield um, a Native American in that that story. I think it's some very pointed commentary considering the roots of the Resident Evil franchise. Hey, hey. 
Um, About American capitalism, maybe stealing literal life. Here's the real question. Indigenous people. But yes, continue. Who should have done Mortal Kombat? Literally fucking anyone else except for whoever made the last movie. <laughs> I hate the new Mortal Kombat. It is upsetting. But I'm how talking much about I hate the Paul W. S. Anderson one. I can live with that. I think it's fine. No, but I'm asking. Whatever. Fucking my my whole thing is like we're giving all Paul W. S. Anderson's films to better directors. Who do we give Mortal Kombat to? Just just make his version rated R, and it would have been better. You motherfucker. Answer I'm not me. doing this. No, I like that one, kind of. It's bad, though. It's fine. It's fun. It's bad. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, you know who else is in this film? Um. Oh, the Mortal Kombat guy. Yeah, Kerry uh, Hiroyuki Tagawa. Yeah, but also... Your soul is mine. Yeah. Um. Didn't, didn't like, Mortal Kombat, like, took a lot of inspiration from Big Trouble in Little China, right? Oh, yeah, straight up. Like, the, the, uh, like they just straight up took characters from the movie <laughs> yeah the the three storms that's that's raiden from mortal Kombat. yeah right there <laughs> that's it is not subtle you know not and that's at all. whatever you know it's cool mortal Kombat's fun it'd be really great if they made a really fun mortal Kombat movie someday yeah you know carpenter being in shouldn't the be that games. fucking hard i'm so, i'm getting like heated i don't care about mortal Kombat that much but it shouldn't be that difficult mm-hmm. mortal Kombat is like one of the weirdest mythologies ever Oh yeah, like it's it's ridiculous. You all you gotta do is just get like a decent action director. Yeah, get some interesting lighting. I don't some, think we cool figured effects. out how to do fantasy fighting yet, at least in the West. You know, like, maybe that's the answer. You gotta give it to. Uh, have you seen the Night Comes for Us on Netflix? No, but I think you told me about it. It fucking rips. It's so fun. Uh, and that director, Timo Gijanto, he's doing the American remake, or at least the English language remake, I'll say, of Train to Busan. Mm-hmm. And he's done some other stuff, too. He did, like, the one good VHS2 short with uh, <laughs> Gareth Evans, the raid guy. Oh, he, yeah. It's the one about the cult. He's a, he's a great director. Uh, he would probably make a kick-ass Mortal Kombat movie. Why are we remaking Train to Busan? Um, cause Americans like capitalism, but if anyone's going to do it, Timo is, uh, he's, he's got the goods. Well, we've a hundred percent crossed that line into like Americans just see the foreign version now. Like we don't have that prejudice anymore. (laughs) You'd think, (laughs) you would think they don't see it in theaters, but they definitely see it on home video still or streaming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking Parasite. Yeah. You know, that, that is pretty nuts. So, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't know. I, I question the reasoning and the methods, but just that dude getting that project is, like, if that works out, thumbs up from me. All right. At least for now. Anything could happen. I would hate to see him get screwed over on his first big English language production, but that would be great. Hey, there's a beholder in this film. The, the eye thing yeah <laughs> yeah i love that that was the the reason i brought up the doom stuff initially because yeah. that just looks like the eye monster in doom well i think both of those you can trace their origins back to the beholder from dungeons and dragons mm. which i think is yeah. a monster that was like one of the the things in the original monster manual that was 100 percent created for dungeons and dragons that doesn't have like okay. its origin I... in some mythology somewhere um, i mean a, a lot of this stuff is, is apparently 
in Big Trouble in Little China, I mean, is like drawn on from uh, like concepts and fantasy elements from like Chinese myths, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know that much about it, so I don't want to speak too fully of it. It's hard to tell, especially because yeah, I also don't know a ton about it. Um, if you've seen Buckaroo Banzai, which you haven't, you also know W.D. Rick just has like an encyclopedic knowledge of just weird nerd shit, and so it could come from anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he, he he seems to be a big fan of just dumping it all in. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, hey, that's that's the way to do it with stuff like this. Yeah. Not if you want to make money, though. Maybe not. Um, but you know how to, how to do it now? And this isn't even, like, a negative for me. Like, I, I was kind of joking about, like, oh, the Body Snatchers remake will probably be, like, a prestige TV series now. I I think it would be kind of fun to see, like, a Stranger Things-level hit of, uh, of another show. But instead of, like, 80s Amblin, like, nostalgia, like, Big Trouble in Little China nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Min- minus the, maybe the the stuff that doesn't age well, like, uh, the more racial satirical elements yeah. of it. But, like, the weird monster stuff, like, just do that, you know? Horror shows weren't are, like, gonna, regularly hits now. Weren't they going to, uh, do this with The Rock? They were gonna remake this with The Rock a few years back? Yeah, I was wondering when that would come up. Yeah, so, that's a bad idea. That was a terrible idea, and it looks like it's dead, which yeah. is good. But you know what my so. idea would be? What? Hollywood, if you're out there. They're uh, definitely listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, definitely. All the big shots in Hollywood, they tune into this podcast <laughs> to hear what the fuck is up. Uh, well, everyone's into the, the soft sequel reboots, right? Mm-hmm. So you do a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China, mm-hmm. but you set it in Hawaii, <laughs> and you play up like Polynesian mythology, and then The Rock's the villain in it. Because <laughs> you gotta have the rock to get money. Okay. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I feel like that. You... And you call it Big Trouble on Little Islands. Should I cut that? That's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never do it. How old is fucking Kurt Russell now? Uh. 70. He could do it. I guess. I guess the joke would be that he's so old. Um, yeah, that's my pitch for the Big Trouble Little China sequel. That's pretty good. Who directs? Um, fucking Carpenter. <laughs> okay, just, just have him do it again. Or you bring me in. Unknown. <laughs> uh, well, because the, the only thing I remember John Carpenter saying about it, and maybe he said more since then. This is a couple years ago. But John Carpenter was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, of like, course. That's what Carpenter says. No, but he, he was like... Uh, just pay me. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I haven't spoken about, like, any of this to, to Dwayne Johnson, and I'm ambivalent about a remake. Mm. And I, I agree. The people that that were hired to write initially were Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz. I don't know if you know them. No. Okay, well, they, they co-wrote X-Men First Class, Thor, uh, Zach Stentz. You're going to love this. He works with Colin Trevorrow a little bit now because mm. he's he, he did that uh that Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous show. Mm. Yeah. 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 Fucking hack losers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's fine. I don't know his work. No. Yeah. Zach Stentz, I, I actually think um he, he seems like a quality writer. But my... From the stuff that I've enjoyed 
of his. I haven't seen the Camp Cretaceous show. Uh, one of the writers that maybe should get off Twitter once in a while. Oh, okay. Not even anything, like, problematic. Just kind of like, dude, you have a career. Get offline. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> just a little obnoxious is all. It happens. Whatever. We're all a little Guillermo obnoxious Toro online. Just, like, post what books he was reading. Yeah, I mean, that's how you fucking do it, you yeah. know? Like, that's, that's all you gotta do. Fuck it. There you go. That those are your those are your ideal film maker Twitter accounts. Yeah. Camel Del Toro, Ryan Johnson. There you go. That's all you need. Well, I'm sure people have a problem with Ryan Johnson as well. Oh, I'm sure. Didn't his uh his girlfriend get caught liking tweets that said uh Rise of Skywalker was dog shit? <laughs> yeah, she she got caught doing a little bit of that. But like I think that kinda kicks ass. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> no. Hell yeah. The Karina Longworth, I'll listen to your podcast now. Have you have you listened to it? No, I haven't, but it's I hear pretty it's pretty good. good. It's pretty good. You can tell that uh, a certain director maybe listened to it and then made a movie based on one of the things they talked about. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you want to be A certain guy we brought up earlier. <laughs> Colin Trevorrow? No. What would he base... Shit Paul W.S. Anderson. Who makes movies about Hollywood? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that answers that question. There you go. Yeah. Uh, not, not to move away from the actual film itself, but again, I, I just want to clarify that it looks like there's no movement on a sequel or reimagining of Big Trouble in Little China. Like, Because all. all the people working on it heard my pitch. And then killed themselves out of embarrassment. There's no way to legally prove that if that <laughs> happens. So I guess I'll keep that in the podcast. There's a Big Trouble in Little China video game for the Commodore 64. Oh. How have I never hmm. heard of this? Oh, okay. Well, here's my pitch for a, a Big Trouble in Little China video game mm. then. You, you play as the Dennis Dunn character. And the whole game was an escort mission for Jafford. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Yeah. That's actually pretty funny. But he'll be like Donald in Kingdom Hearts, you know? Like Donald Duck where he's like yeah. like trying to heal you and he'll just like keep wasting magic and shit. Yeah. Like he'll do everything wrong and you have to try to like beat the game you have to beat with the, game the worst companion part. ever. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I just think my thing is that if this had been a hit, like my idea would be like every sequel he would just be involved in a different mythology that he doesn't understand <laughs> that would be tons of fun you know because like uh oh, okay for another like classic i guess at this point adventure film it's like you know the brennan fraser rachel weiss mummy films yeah i i think it would have been fun if they fought different universal monsters instead of just mummies you know like yeah. that was the shared universe waiting to happen that's cool but i also i like when they started doing uh tomb of the dragon emperor I like the idea that there's, like, different mummies around the world. No, that that is cool. It's like, just a bummer about that movie. Yeah, you know? that movie's not... But, like, yeah, that concept's not a bad one. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that film also ends with the, the titles that, like, oh, Jonathan, even though he was escaping, he was like, I'm done with mummies. You know, he moves to Brazil, and then, like, a year later they find Aztec mummies. Oh, see, that would be amazing. Yeah, and, like, that was the plan, but, like, the third film just left everyone, like, bummed and didn't make a lot of money, I guess. So. I guess. I, I think, I blame Mummy Returns. Mummy Returns kind of blows. 
It, yeah, I, I'm not a fan. There's Sorry. such a, like, I'm not, like, a giant Mummy fan, but there's such a drop-off in quality from The Mummy to The Mummy Returns. Mm-hmm. I like stuff in Mummy Returns, but that that definitely has sequelitis, for sure. Yeah. Although, it does leave us with some great gifs. Yeah. No! Everyone knows. I don't know any of those. No, no, it's it's the one where, like... Brennan Fraser's just stabbed the Scorpion King. He's hanging over the fire pit. And then the, the first mummy comes out and he's like, no! I don't know these. Oh my god, the blocking is incredible. You're gonna laugh so hard when you see it. I should check it out. All I know from that is the terrible looking Scorpion King. Oh yeah. It's the only thing I really remember from that movie. Yeah, that's bad. Hey, and they made a prequel called The Scorpion King. <laughs> you know, that, that movie has like four straight-to-DVD sequels. Yeah, I've seen half of them. <laughs> wow. Shout-out to the Sequels Podcast. Yeah. Which we guessed it on, and it's still really fun to listen to, so check them out. Did you know Chuck Russell did The Scorpion King? That's a bummer. <laughs> That's a real bummer. And then he doesn't make another movie for, like, 15 years. Oh. Oh, Chuck. What a different world. What a weird run. Nightmare 3, The Blob, The Mask, and Eraser. Is Eraser worth it? Um, I remember liking it, but I haven't seen it in a decade. All right. So, it's late era Arnold, so it's not perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm never, I, I can handle messy, you know. Basically, my bar is just don't do shared universe bullshit, you know. Like, I just yeah. saw Snake Eyes for the, like, the the new Snake Eyes, not can the, you believe the Brian De Palma exists? one. Can you believe that no, like, but... what the fuck? You know, I would honestly go to bat for it if not for the G.I. Joe shared universe bullshit. There's, like, a solid movie in there. That's the problem. I guess that's what kills anything from, like, Big Trouble in Little China happening today is that there would be all this fucking spin-off bullshit from the studio that would explain every little piece of mythology in it. Mm-hmm. Because that's how you get the fans to talk about it constantly. Yeah. Although you know what, I'm, we're gonna talk shit on shared universe stuff continuously, but a Gracie Law spinoff would have been kind of funny. Yeah, Gracie Law would have been funny. <laughs> like, like that's like a good character, though. You yeah. know. <laughs> and she seems to know more about uh, Chinese mysticism than Jack Burton. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, like I like that. Um, you you kind of get like two sides of the spectrum there, where Jack Burton's like, "What the fuck?" and Gracie Law is like, "Yeah, she's like a part of like the good guy team, but she's also like." You know, she she understands that she's a supporting character in this story. Like, yeah. like she's very supportive of this community of, of, of Although I like that characters she's, and actors. She's also still an outsider, but she's got her own thing because she's got the uh, the reporter that she's bringing along mm-hmm. that feeding the story so it can be the big break. She's trying to expose this underground world of, like, immigrant women getting kidnapped, which is a pretty fucking dark issue to be in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, and oh, there's, then there's, like... The other mini romantic subplot where they're like talking about like oh you know like we're heading oh, into yeah. like the danger like everyone's got like Eddie's crazy like, about you yeah a, it's, it's like I've met these people for about two minutes but you know <laughs> what I buy this and like it's just the kind of thing that really fills out this movie's world and like Jack Burton even though we're just getting exposed to it it it's like oh this definitely existed we're not before by Don called the president yeah. <laughs> What a line. I gotta love the part, though, when Jack Burton shoots a guy. <laughs> and he's like, first time you've done that? And he's, of course not. After looking genuinely hurt that he took another human being's life. Yeah. Oh, 
I can't believe I almost forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot mm-hmm. about what might be the funniest thing in this movie. So when they're going to break into Lopan's place, right? The uh, the front, his business that's just a front for his weird mystic operations. Mm-hmm. They're posing as phone repairmen, right? <laughs> yes. Jack Burton's idea of what a phone repairman brings with him <laughs> is a phone. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't bring tools. Yeah. He brings a phone. Uh, yeah, this is a perfect film. He's carrying like a rotary phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god! That whoever made that decision—that's <laughs> brilliant. They're a hero. Oh my god! I I can't. I just laugh about that every time I think about it. See, for me, I I have I have a basic favorite comedy moment in this. Mm-hmm. It's right after they come out of the elevator and Jack oh, Burton's yeah. like, you know, I feel kind of invincible. Oh yeah, when they all get stoned in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then when he goes out and they're like, the, the fight starts, and he's like, ah, he shoots the ceiling, and then the rubble knocks him out. <laughs> like the first part of the fight. The fight. Yeah, that's fucking great. I think that's Carpenter genius. said that was the moment he could tell the executives had turned on the film. Because <laughs> they're fucking cowards. Yeah. And then he gets his boots stuck on the one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I, I want to say that, like, you know, even though Jack Burton's, like, a goofball and, like, very much not the hero of this movie, it is kind of nice when he, like, kind of gets his act together a little bit for the final fight. Like, there's, like, a nice little arc, even though it's, like... Well, he kind of gets his act together. Yes. Emphasis on kind of. If you buy everything Egg Shen's doing, where Egg Shen, like, brings in all, like, the the mystic potions, and he's also, like, look, order out of chaos. He's like, we take this, it'll give us good luck and all that stuff. Jack Burton getting knocked out by the ceiling is entirely the universe's doing. Because if Jack Burton had run into the battle, he would have died. (laughs) Yes. So he has to be knocked out for that so he can live and then have his buddy, Wang, distract fucking Thunder. <laughs> well, and then he misses with the goddamn knife <laughs> that he throws at Lopin. And it's only that the, the reflexes he has that works in the end. On the reflexes. That's all he's got. <laughs> yep. It's it's his one moment, and I could see someone being like, "Ah, oh, he still gets to he gets the hero moment." But to be fair, it is the literally the one moment. Yeah, he gets it's like in the, the one heroic thing he does. Yeah, the other good moment is when they they're they're getting all the girls running out of the place, and he's like, "All right, it's pretty simple. Just a few offices and a warehouse. Just the like he goes through all the things." It's like, all right, follow the leader. Opens the door, and they're right there, and he just shuts it. That's my, that's fucking great. We that might actually trapped. be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. That's, I mean, it, it's perfect. I feel like everyone has seen this movie by this point. You would be surprised. I think film Twitter people mostly. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of like people that haven't discovered it yet and i, I, I think that's one, exciting it know? is the carpenter one that like i guess people don't really watch of the like five star carpenter films yeah it's because like the thing is now canon just across the board yeah everyone loves big the thing. trouble in little china is not there yet um mm-hmm. i think 
for like film nerds, it's it's really getting there for sure. And I think the like, thing that will hold it back though is it is a little dated culturally. Yeah. Yeah. So and if that's a deal breaker for you, I get it. Can't you know? blame you. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you if you can give it a shot, you might like it still, you know? I but that all comes down to the individual. Yeah. And as two individual uh one white and one white passing on this podcast, <laughs> we don't really get to say what goes and what doesn't. So, Diego, how do you know you're white passing? Because I'm very white-skinned. Yeah, but I'll just say, as a, as a white person, <laughs> I, I, was, I did not for a second think you were a fellow white person. <laughs> that reptilian racist part that's in every white man's brain. <laughs> Still was like not white. <laughs> now maybe it was the name. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm talking like if you meet me in the street, I and and you don't know my name, I I would be shocked if someone was like, oh yeah, that's a Mexican. I don't yeah. know. I mean, but like I'm I'm Italian and I've gone through other. I'm, I'm like, super pale because I'm fucking sickly, but uh, all my Italian relatives have moments where they get mistaken for another ethnicity because of how tan Italians can get. Mm, mm-hmm. So, um, hey, <laughs> prejudice hey. against Italians with those random selections in the fucking TSA lines. <laughs> Before this gets any more embarrassing, uh, <laughs> any last thoughts on Big Trouble in Little China? Um, don't trust Whitey. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> um, do you know where you'd put it in your carpenter rankings? Um, I have a carpenter ranking I wrote like years ago, but I don't remember it. <laughs> okay. I took a look at mine again and I'll say big trouble in little China is in my top three. Give me and... like a minute to get mine up. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just keep talking then. Yeah. Um, it's in my top three and I don't think I'd change that. I have it like right above they live in Escape from New York, and my top three are The Thing, Starman, and Big Trouble in Little China. I think my, I think the big point of disagreement we had is that I put Starman a lot lower. Yeah, oh no, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely remember that. I just yeah, don't... Matt didn't put Starman in the top five. Everyone point and laugh. I just don't buy Carpenter when he's being sincere. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mine was, uh, all right, it's in my top five. It's number four. Okay. Um, it's The Thing, Halloween, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, and then Assault on Precinct 13. Is my top five. Yeah, it's fucking... I mean, for the great Carpenter films, you really can't go wrong, you mm-hmm. know? And then I put Starman under Escape from L.A. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Where's Ghost of Mars? Um, Ghost of Mars, I probably have higher than the average person. Okay. Um, I, I like Ghost oh, of Mars. Oh, Ghost of Mars is 18, so it's, it's Starman's above Ghost of Mars. Okay, okay. Yeah, I like Ghost of Mars. Village of the Damned is, honestly, but... like, of all the Carpenter films I've watched, Village of the Damned is the only one I watched and, like, was really bummed out by. Mm. Like, I, I basically got nothing from that movie. There's a yeah. handful of moments, but, like, it was a real bummer, because it's like, I know Carpenter can make a better version of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's a little uh, bit of Starman Schmaltz in that one, I gotta say. Really? Yeah, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, like, optimistic Carpenter just freaks me out. Mm. Like, it's like, it's like seeing your dad crying. <laughs> it's just, it's like, no. 
Uh, I put well, Dark that, Star at number eleven. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I like Dark Star, but it, it's not higher than a lot of others. <laughs> but before we start going on a whole other Carpenter tangent, uh, where can the people find you? Um, I'm at Emperor OTN1 at Twitter.com. I'm also on Twitch. Hopefully soon. I'm still fucking struggling to get my streaming to work, but mm. I want to well, get same. right back to it. Maybe I'll play that thing video game one of these days. It's on PC, so I, I owe it to the people that tuned in to actually go through it all the way this time. Yeah. So we will see. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you can find me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. You can get early access to the last retrospective we're doing for the failed blockbusters. It's Master and Commander. Yay! We will talk about why that is the last one we're doing for this mini-season, I guess. Um, Yay, a lot yes, of fun stuff yeah. to talk about there. Does it hold up as kind of like a hidden gem that it's gotten a reputation as? Well, we will see. We will see. But for now, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional. I'm going to play us out with dialogue of John Carpenter and Kurt Russell getting drunk oh, on yeah. the Big Trouble in Little China commentary track. Here we go uh, with Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah! <laughs> this was the time of Rambo, you know. I think that's what they expected. <laughs> they were expecting maybe uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Or they, they were expecting maybe Harrison Ford. <laughs> I love your performance in this. Of course, my favorite performance is still Captain Ron. But... <laughs> Not quite as sharp as he thought he was. <laughs> He's really useless. He's out of it. Yep. Didn't make it. <laughs> we'll just play it here. Man behind the wheel. <laughs> you these moves. Oh, oh, oh gee, I, you know, well, I think I think. <laughs> I remember shooting away at this scene and being almost done with it and congratulating myself until Dean Cundy, the director of photography, said, we haven't shot the other direction yet. <laughs> what? Here it is. A little like an outsider. <laughs> yeah, guess what? This is blank. <laughs> this uh, location has been used a hundred times now. I actually saw it in a porn film the other night. <laughs> That's definitely not me. <laughs> Follow the leader. One. There he goes. Oops. We may be trapped. <laughs> there we go. They only saw me. <laughs> yeah, bust out. Dennis did working on getting the knife. Uh huh. <laughs> there it goes. That's a cheesy cross-eyed monster. <laughs> As I recall, you guys took some drugs in that elevator. I feel kind of invincible. <laughs> <laughs> This giant monster comes out and grabs you, and now we reveal you. Uh, I just thought it was the greatest. But, oh, I don't want to be that guy right now. <laughs> Sorry, we haven't talked more about the movie, but <laughs> but that's the way we are. <laughs> we paid a lot more attention at the time, <laughs> but the beer's been good.